Hi, this is Eddie Watala bringing you the Quarantine Podcast. Today I'm here with Nicole Gage, who's an attorney. Hi, my name is Nicole Gage. I'm happy to be here today. Uh, I'm a litigation attorney in San Francisco. Uh, I represent a variety of companies uh, that have been sued primarily for personal injury um, actions. And um, what litigation means is that we're the type of attorney that will end up in a courtroom trying a case in front of a jury. So can you tell me how has the practice of law changed since quarantine? Oh boy, that's a loaded question. Um, Well, first of all, the courtrooms, just like um, the rest of the world, shut down. So uh, a lot of uh, attorneys and judges were scrambling to, you know, get the courtroom work done. So um, some judges were having conference calls and eventually just kind of like how you're doing remote school, some judges were starting to do Zoom trials. and that would, was primarily in Alameda. Alameda County actually had one of the very first, what I believe is one of the very first Zoom trials in uh, the United States, which had a whole host of problems, including constitutional issues. Um, and then other courthouses like um, LA, where they had really high concentrations of COVID cases, um, they shut down completely and they were not doing any Zoom trials for a variety of reasons. Um, and they were trying to come up with ways to uh, maybe do in-person trials by going into a, um, a ballroom and having people, you know, six feet or more apart. Um, this led to a whole host of problems, including, um, you know, union issues with um, allowing court staffs to be working outside of the courthouse. Um, logistical questions um, like would the sheriff department be there to conduct screenings of people coming in and out of the ballroom for the for a public proceeding like a trial um, and just really d- issues that you wouldn't even think would come up like um, people having to wear a mask and mm-hmm. how a mask would impact um, how you're interpreting the evidence because one of the things that you're doing as a juror is evaluating whether someone is telling you truthful testimony. And one of the ways that we do that, whether we realize it or not, is from facial features and and expressions. And when you're wearing a mask, you're not able to see is the guy smirking behind, you know, his testimony when he's supposedly, you know, telling us something that happened that was devastating to him. Um, So we've had all of these challenges. Um, But the most significant um, challenge that I find so interesting is the constitutional issue. And that is that, you know, we are Um, guaranteed to be tried by our peers. And that's very important that, you know, the jury looks like us, you know, Mm -hmm. black, white, Mexican, female, male, a whole combination, you know, all walks of life are supposed to be who determines whether, you know, we're guilty or not guilty or whether, you know, someone is entitled to receive compensation or not. And what we were finding is that number one, people answering the jury summons dropped significantly. So number one, we don't have the same number of people reporting for jury duty. Um, But number two, we were finding that people, for example, um, the elderly are going to say that they have, you know, that they're at risk being over a certain age and coming into the courthouse for um, jury selection. Um, What we found with the Zoom trials is that we ended up with a lot of people who were tech savvy and able to um, report to jury duty using the Zoom platform, which eliminated you know a whole host of other people that either didn't have the technology or Wi-Fi um, bandwidth to to participate. 
And so that led to a lot of um, constitutional issues as to whether or not people were getting a fair trial in, in, in a jury of their peers. So what has been your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge, I think, is trying to find a happy medium. We have a lot of cases where people, as a matter of right, um, are entitled to have a trial date. And so, for example, um, I was involved in one case that was actually appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court, where the woman was 95 years old. Um, She was due to have her trial date, um, I want to say, the first or second week of March 2020. Um, And she was entitled as a matter of right to have her trial go out by that by that date. It didn't happen, obviously, because no one knew what to do. This was all unprecedented, no no playbook to go by. Um, and she still hasn't gotten a jury trial. So um, it's, it's kind of trying to find the right balance of respecting people's rights, but weighing the um, health of, you know, the, the lawyers and the court staff, as well as... Um, our, our prospective jurors that are coming in to try cases with us. Okay, so what do you think will be the hardest thing moving forward? I think the hardest thing moving forward is going to be the fact that we have cases stacked up. So our, our, our we're bursting at the seams in terms of the number of cases that need to get pushed through and pushed through quickly. Um, so that's going to be uh, really difficult to try and balance the number of cases that... Um, are moving forward. Um, and I think the other thing is going to be really interesting and maybe not, um, maybe, maybe not the hardest thing, but is interesting is to see how the Supreme court, um, who are, who are dealing with these issues decide these issues. They might just decide that, you know, this was a one-off situation that happens once every 100 years. Um, or, Maybe there'll be some significant rulings about, you know, our rights to trial, our rights to um, what a jury should look like, um, which are all important for, um, you know, deciding how 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 our judicial system should, um, the outcomes of our judicial system. So what did you see happen in the Zoom trials? Well, um, probably similar to what you see in your Zoom classrooms. We had jurors um, attending trial, um, wearing ear pods, um, zooming from bed, zooming from, uh, stationary bicycles, which was all disconcerting because we, we couldn't really could tell whether they were paying attention to the evidence, whether they were listening actually to music. There was, um, none of the safeguards that you would normally have in the courtroom to, you know, make sure that jurors are paying attention, not Googling, you know, information related to the case or doing anything like that. Um, and then we also had, um, technical issues where, um, at one point we had to like send, um, portable Wi-Fi devices, um, to certain jurors so that they could have steady internet connections. Um, one thing that the, the parties tried to do to, to reduce, um, the jurors from, from conducting their own side research into the facts is that we sent them clean laptops with nothing on them, just able to zoom right in. Um, and so we tried to, you know, do the things that we could, but of course, you know, as you probably experience on your zoom calls, you know, there's all kinds of distractions, you know, coming from home. Um, but the most serious thing that happened in this trial was, um, we were we had breakout rooms, and so what we have normally in a court 
proceeding um, are things called sidebars, where the judge will confer with um, a certain attorney or a group of attorneys um, about some issue that's come up. Maybe it's you know some testimony that goes against a ruling he made before we got to trial. And so we have these sidebars, which there's no way to do that in a non-in-person trial. So what they did, which you have experienced, I'm sure, as well, is they would go out into breakout rooms. Well, on one instance, um, while the plaintiff was on the stand, um, the judge and a few attorneys went out into, a, and all the attorneys went out into a breakout room. Um, there was court staff and paralegal staff that were also on Zoom and observed the plaintiff talking to the jury about his vacation, and they were just kind of shooting the breeze. Mm. Um, and then, um, and then the when the judge came back or was starting to come back, the the plaintiff said, "Well, I better I better hurry up and you know." get get straight so you know I don't get in trouble for this and so he knew that he shouldn't be talking directly to the jurors that's a yeah. big no-no and you know what it does is it kind of gets it plays into his own hands of, of you know kind of making the jury sympathetic to him oh he's such a nice guy mm. they were talking about his vacation and you know um and that was improper and that went up to the court of appeals on a writ um to to get it basically a, a non-suit or um sorry, mistrial, um, which means that, you know, that there were so many errors that we, nobody could possibly get a favorable, um, unbiased, uh, ruling from this jury. But, um, this, the court of appeals shut, uh, shut that down. Yeah. Well, luckily it looks like we're almost done with this quarantine. That's true. It's been a long, hard year, um, for everybody. Um, but in terms of trials and courtrooms, you know, we're starting to open up. Um, I had a case go out for trial on Monday in, um, San Francisco and, you know, we're trying to figure out, um, how that's going to look like. Um, it might be part, um, remote part in person, but then we also have the other issue, um, speaking of part, um, being remote is that we have experts from all over the country. Um, some of them are not willing to fly. So I think that we will see probably a hybrid of in court and, and remote proceedings overlapping in, in a jury trial um, for a while, probably until 2021, because that's when I'm hearing that we can expect life to quote, return to normal. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exciting. Uh, and I look forward to speaking with you again. And thanks for attending Eddie's Quarantine Podcast.